Hi there, Allison. Hi, Michael. Today, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting today what we're going to talk about because a lot of colleges are facing what UC Davis is facing, which is a return to students and undergraduates. Of course, our students are already back to class, and I'm intrigued by some of the news stories coming out about that and some of the ways that universities are dealing with uh, testing. And I think we have a, a, a rich subject to, to talk about today. I, I noticed in the uh, paper a story about the University of Arizona that was using uh, an intriguing way, and that is to measure COVID in the sewage uh, from dorms. And they picked up uh, a dorm that had a positive, and then they retested all the students. You know, that's just one way the technology is coming into play. So. I know this is, is a, a subject that you're very interested in, Allison. It, for me, it's personal. So my daughter is a junior at UNC in Chapel Hill, and Chapel Hill's been uh, on the press. Um, and, you know, there are lots of college students going back with um, lots of people being in small areas, parties. Uh, thankfully, she remains negative, but for me, making sure that we know how to get people back to school safely is really personal. Um, I think we're doing innovative things on many college campuses about how to return to school safely, and some of these pooling tests are one way to do it. Certainly is, and and you know, I think the it involves multiple layers of protection, obviously, um, from checking the students into the dorms to the way that they're housed, uh, the way that they're fed, um, you know, and it follows the same principles we've talked about on this podcast, physical distancing and masking, of course, but, but also when it comes to testing now, they, you know, different universities have been prepared and others have found, as you mentioned, uh, at the University of North Carolina, that they may have not been quite prepared enough or uh, human behavior being as it is, uh, some of the um, um, following some of the guidelines did not happen with the students. And that's a real uh, concern uh, for universities. We can do all we can at the campus level, but outside of their um, classroom and campus life, uh, if they don't uh, follow the public health guidelines, uh, such as uh, large group gatherings, parties, it, uh, it starts to break down and then the, the um, virus can spread. So I think it's a combination of personal responsibility by the students themselves. And you see around the country students that are, are doing the, the right thing um, and others are not. And some, I know Chico State had to, to start and then send their students back. And you know we, um, we don't wanna do that. So there's two things that you said that are really important. One, a behavior change on the part of both students and staff, and two is testing. So if we unpack testing, um, that is a rapidly changing area. But now people are talking about number one, spit testing, uh, being able to potentially test yourself, um, being able to have frequent testing. So we know that a positive test or negative test um, isn't good for very long. So one thing that is being done is pooling. That means that you take several samples and you put them together in one well in the machine. You know, we have these robots and they test. And then if you get what we call a hit or a positive test out of that well, then you test say all five that were in that well. But if the well is negative, that means all five are negative. 
The other thing that's being really worked on is some high throughput screening and the ability to test thousands of tests in a rapid mm -hmm. fashion. It is really the site of innovation. So I am so excited because our uh, school is working with our main campus and we've got really innovative people working on this solution. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you hit upon a, a really important point, which it does take uh, a village. And, you know, in, in our case, uh, the entire campus being involved, we're able to take advantage of um, high throughput testing that have been done in other fields, uh, for example, in agriculture. One of the interesting things, and people may not realize it, but when it comes to testing, um, we need to have testing in animals and, and in plants. Um, to test for things to like the purity of plants, uh, GMO, um, genetically modified um, labels on plants, they need to be verified that they are GMO or pesticide testing or, or varietal testing. So in agriculture, these kinds of high throughput testing, you can imagine having to test many, many different varieties of grapes, uh, for example, it would take uh, a lot of technology. So using that technology, we can take advantage of that for uh, human public health uh, as well. And you mentioned a very important aspect, which is the samples. Um, not only the, the ability to pool samples and barcode them, but also easily accessed um, areas of the samples, saliva, spit testing. That's much easier. People are likely going to do it um, uh, more readily uh, if it doesn't involve sticking a a swab up your nose and which some people may avoid. And so we, you want to make it accessible, make it very clear what the test means. Um, when we talk about testing also, the concept of screening comes into play. And what I mean by that is very often when you're dealing with populations, you may not uh, be able to have individual testing. And so that pool testing allows larger groups to be you know, screened uh, for the virus. And once that's detected, uh, the samples are saved and you can go back and individually test them in a qualified uh, laboratory that's set up to, to test individuals. And so that is comforting uh, to, to bring back people to campus or in other settings of healthcare workers. And I know one of the first populations that would be tested, and I know you're doing this in your hospital, is frontline healthcare workers. Right, uh, frontline healthcare workers, it's so important. Not only um, are they the ones to be tested, but as you know, we're involved in a uh, vaccine trial and the very first person who uh, got the injection worked in the emergency room and I um, got to meet him, one of our employees. And so uh, that's just another thing I, that is so important about UC Davis. We're combining the strengths of ag, as you mentioned, to leverage that into potentially being able to do testing of students and staff on a frequent basis in a very easy way. And we're also partnering across all of our schools, and school, including the School of Vet Med that you lead, a School of Medicine, the School of Nursing, uh, really pushing the envelope on trying to make sure that we're not only able to test, but able to treat. And I'm really excited about the vaccine too, because that leads mm -hmm. us to uh, potential to prevent. So test, treat, and prevent. It's all about improving health. 
Maybe you can tell me a little bit more about um, One Health and how that's been so important. I know uh, that it is really a public health approach and it's one that is unique to UC Davis and it really incorporates everything about UC Davis, uh, the vet school, nursing, school of medicine, um, and all the strengths that we have. You know, we're learning really if this idea of high throughput testing works for our campus, we're going to need to credit the agricultural school that brought this concept to us. So tell me a little bit more about One Health. Well, that's a that's an important topic, One Health. It, it's actually an old concept. Um, you know, the fact that our disciplines of medicine and the other disciplines that have come around that involve health or science actually worked together um, hundreds of years ago and then later uh, in the last century began to specialize and split off. And of course, specialization is important too to be able to understand a particular species, um, but also uh, we need to learn from each other. And I think One Health involves that interface between animals, people, and the environment that we all share. And so COVID is a perfect example of that. Uh, we know that the virus came from probably animal reservoirs. Uh, we know that there are very close relatives in bats, for example. Our folks in our One Health Institute uh, are investigating that, and we're very happy that this week was announced a new grant from uh, NIH, in which we're a major part uh, to detect emerging, as they call them, um, pathogens that are zoonotic. And about 70% of human emerging diseases come from animal reservoirs. So you can imagine the importance of understanding that. So that's a, a good example where it starts at the very beginning. Understanding the environment means what disruptions happen to allow that to occur and spill over or jump into humans. And then, of course, environmental factors, as we talked about uh, in, in this subject of testing, is uh, populations. And we know a lot from animals. In fact, a, a real quick story, I started my uh, career at the Centers for Disease Control as a young scientist uh, testing for another human pathogen called HGLV-1, which was a variant of a human retrovirus that we had already known in animals, in cattle in this case. And I'd studied in sheep and cattle these viruses as a PhD student. So at CDC, that expertise was called into play for humans uh, at a time when we only first discovered retroviruses like HIV, um, which everybody knows causes AIDS. And at that time in the early 80s, we needed to test for that in the, in the, um, in the blood supply, which is the way it's transmitted. And I remember being impressed with how everybody came together, the epidemiologist, the people that worked in the laboratory to develop screening tests, in this case, um, screening tests in plates that test large volumes from the blood supply and then confirmation tests. And that's what I did in my laboratory. And so we're in the same situation today where we need to screen large populations by rapid high throughput testing. The testing has gotten better, as you mentioned with the technology but then we need to confirm individuals to give them a diagnostic confirmation. And so I'm finding that that experience that comes from animals originally uh, in testing is a common uh, theme um, in the One Health fashion for testing for human viruses as well. So it's so important, the interaction between um, animals and humans. It's really something that's gonna, I think, 
help us move things much, much quicker. And I know that that's one of the things that's moved uh, the testing here at UC Davis uh, much quicker. And it's just really, um, it's really heartwarming to see all um, the researchers and clinicians all working together, as you point out, with One Health. Well, you know, Michael, this has just been a really great discussion. Um, please join us next week when we'll talk about something that's really important to me personally, volunteering to be part of a clinical trial. Yeah, and I'm Michael Armore, Dean of the School of Veterinary Medicine here at UC Davis. And please come back and listen to our Dean's Discuss uh, COVID-19 podcast and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an issue. And I'm really excited about next week's topic uh, on that same subject for that reason. And I'm Allison Brashear, the Dean of UC Davis School of Medicine. We welcome your questions and ideas on topics for future episodes. You can email us at deansdiscuss at ucdavis.edu. And in the meantime, you can visit us at ucdavis.edu backslash COVID-19 for the latest coronavirus research from UC Davis. See you next week. 